Baldur's Gate 3 continues to make waves as it now lands on PS5 and receives another strong Metacritic score. And the ongoing question, sort of the thought and the comparisons being made are, is this the new standard for really big games? Or is this the standard for RPGs in general? I don't think anyone thought that a turn-based CRPG with literal dice rolling would take the gaming world by storm. But here we are, and there have been a variety of responses to this game. Some are now weaponizing the game against other developers, saying this is the new standard, you need to make your game like this. Others are using the game to console war by either claiming it is a PS5 timed exclusive or maybe slamming minor performance issues while they wait for it to land on Xbox. Many Xbox fans have made false claims about this game's performance issues. I think they're forgetting that the game is headed their way. I also want to look at the unique circumstances surrounding Baldur's Gate 3 and I put all of the good information right here at the beginning of the video. That way you don't have to go looking for it. It's a bit of an opening monologue and then I dive in and discuss it with the live audience as a live stream. So if you like this kind of live content, hit subscribe and the bell button so you don't miss out on my shows. So Baldur's Gate 3 just doesn't seem to want to leave the gaming headlines. After landing on the PS5, the conversation continues to ebb and flow, from the ridiculous and tribal to the aspirational and ideological. I've continued to be frustrated by how the likely Game of the Year winner is being used to fuel petty fights and arguments. Beyond that, just bad framing from so-called gaming press, which fuels false narratives in the gaming world, something I'm all too familiar with. So I I want to discuss this game from a couple of angles. First, I want to recap the discussion about is Baldur's Gate 3 the new standard? I want to give my own thoughts on what has transpired there. I've not been able to weigh on in, in on this game very much even now. I've just been so busy. I played a couple of hours with my wife. We made some characters and just got started. Secondly, I want to talk about the various ways that the game has been weaponized. If Baldur's Gate 3 has achieved anything outside of the game itself, it has been exposing folks who care very little about gaming and they just enjoy bad faith argumentation and tribalistic fighting lastly i do want to look at the unique circumstances of this game beyond just the way that the game was developed everything that has transpired with the release date the conversation it's all been incredibly unique while being i think a bit troubling so first let's just look at the larger discussion surrounding this game as well as what other devs were weighing in on so in case you missed it i think you're actually better off if you missed this, there was a fairly false narrative put out there that developers were panicking due to how great Baldur's Gate 3 is. Not just commercial acclaim and popularity, but the quality of the game itself. I found Escapist Magazine had a very good summary of what transpired. I'm going to pull a little bit from an article from them. Because I remember looking at the Twitter thread that started the entire discussion, and I found it to be a very fair and helpful summary of what was going on. It was quickly spun into something else. Then this article, I think, sees the game in a similar way that I do, the one written by Escapist Magazine. It almost exists paradoxically. It is so excellent that it's leading to arguments and fights that you would expect to see for a bad game launch instead of a good one. Here's what they had to say. Quote, More than just a critical darling, it has charmed the legion of fans. Somewhat paradoxically, that's actually the source of the apparent pushback against the game. I write apparent because it began with a statement and what seems to be a willful misinterpretation of that statement. The original comment is attributable to 
Uh, it's like Xavier with an L in it. I can't say it. Alex Xavier Nelson Jr., studio head of Strange Scaffold. I have such a hard time saying that. So, Mr. Nelson uh, is basically putting out a thread at the time that this game was hitting a fever pitch. Now, I had a similar reaction when I read the Twitter thread. I felt like it was being willfully misrepresented, okay? The thread is twen- is 10 tweets long. Say that 10 times fast. It's 10 tweets long, and I think I just want to pull a full of them out that I felt like were pertinent to the discussion. Now, he starts with a preface that was lost on basically everybody looking to hurl hate his way. He said the following... Like a lot of people, I'm deeply excited about what the lovely folks at Larian accomplished with Baldur's Gate 3, but I want to gently, preemptively push back against players taking that excitement and using it to apply criticism or a, quote, raised standard to RPGs going forward. Now, this doesn't sound like panic to me. Pretty fair and healthy concern. Well, why is this fair and healthy concern? Well, because this is what gamers do, okay? They say, well, this game did it. Why can't you do it? Or this game gave us free content. Why can't you give us nothing but free content, right? They didn't do microtransactions. They didn't charge for their DLC. Why can't you? This is very common when a big successful game sort of rocks the gaming world and does things that many people think are excellent. Over the almost nine years that I have been having live live gaming discussions with the gaming community. I've lost count how many times folks will criticize a game simply because another game did what they feel is the ideal. And Baldur's Gate 3 is certainly going to invite that level of praise, popularity, and review scores it's receiving. Now, the thread in question points out the unique advantages that Larian had in building Baldur's Gate 3. He said they have a dev cycle stretching back to 2017, two massive games and their definitive editions worth of tech, so they have all that technology they also have institutional knowledge to draw from super successful early access period lasting three years providing crucial community feedback bug hunting and cash flow over 400 developers in seven different offices around the world not including outsourcing partners the license the brand and the world at large the popularity of the ip of you know dungeons and dragons at the apex of its popularity with the rise of an actual play movement and a movie a movie so this is why i always stress that every game is different so he just quickly rattles off some of the circumstances that led to Baldur's Gate 3 taking the world by storm being at the degree of quality and the level that it is the size of the studio how effective their engine and their tools are costs to ramp up if they've ever had to ramp down if you've ever had to expand or shrink departments these are all things that go into game development whether it's successful or whether it fails Larian has done great work that isn't in question but many planets aligned to help accelerate their work But he makes a point, I think, to point out how many gamers should consider in the wake of acquisitions and different platform models. He says the following. This is not a new baseline for RPGs. This is an anomaly. Trying to do the same thing in the same way, especially without the same advantages, could kill an entire group of studios. If they go as big or bigger with their next title, Larry and themselves could die. That's the risk and the reward of the mega game. We are an industry dangling elephants over cliffs pointing at the ones that don't collapse under their own weight as indictments to the ones that do. 
This is so well stated. I've tried to drive this home so many times. Game development is getting bigger, broader, longer. The risk for some of these studios is immense because of the studios themselves being immense, right? They're enormous operating costs and what goes into a game, how long it takes to bring a game to the market. Now, a perspective missing, I think, from the Escapist magazine coverage, which I think excellently, I think they covered the bad framing rather excellently because this guy's tweet and thread led to a bunch of nonsense okay nothing in the twitter thread i think shows devs panicking however i think there's a perspective missing that some of the folks that agreed and chimed in with him are one of the reasons i think people got upset somebody from blizzard actually chimed in on the thread like kind of agreeing with some of what he was saying if there's anybody that probably should not be chiming in with hey yeah don't expect high standards from us don't expect us to do something as good as Baldur's Gate 3 the last people that should be saying that is Blizzard okay Diablo 4 had a lot of in, a lot of things in its corner it had money it had a successful franchise to lean on it's got institutional knowledge institutional tools and and to p- compare it to Larry and it's like really do you honestly think they had a bigger advantage over you now i'm going to circle back to diablo 4 later to talk about what could actually be learned from larian's approach because i do think larian's approach could help certain types of games but not all games in general as a non-live service game i feel Baldur's gate 3 is teaching live service games how to live service which is insanely ironic ironic but we'll talk about that in a moment however escapist magazine was good to point out the problem with the ign video so there was an ign video that surfaced claiming that devs were panicking okay and that's what they're talking about The problem with the IGN video is that it's disingenuous. There's nothing in Nelson's thread or the others noted in the video that the developers in question are, quote, panicking. Most are simply pointing out the fallacy in assuming the unique situation of the development of Baldur's Gate 3 can be applied more broadly and therefore coming to expect a new or raised standard going forward. I tend to agree with this. I sensed no panic, and also, it's fallacious to think that Baldur's Gate 3 development and success can re- be replicated by simply doing like a, hey, raise your standards, build better games. Tons of the people responding to the Twitter thread were like, why don't you just make a better game? Why don't you just make a good game? As if it were that simple. If it were that simple, I would imagine, given the amount of risk that goes into making video games, video game development and production and marketing, I think companies would do that. If it was that easy just get good just make better games don't you think they would do that given all the risk involved with game development and the price and the potential financial ruin you can experience if your game doesn't do well and given how tribalistic gaming has become i hold gaming outlets to better standards if they're going to create videos and commentary like this right it makes his let the next two statements from the escapist magazine i think very very poignant they said the following It may well be serving the fundamental journalistic practice of holding power to account, but it ignores journalism's other underlying conceit of the pursuit of truth. And he concludes, simply, the entire controversy stemmed from a failure of journalistic integrity on the part of IGN, and that's now seared into the public consciousness. I'm all too familiar with journalistic malpractice, not pursuing truth, leading to false narratives that get seared into the public consciousness. It's happened all too often. And the real issue here is that Baldur's Gate 3 continues to be weaponized to this day. That's what I want to talk about next. So... That's just kind of a quick flyover recap of like, this guy makes this tweet, points out 
the unique circumstances that went into Baldur's Gate 3 and what made it so excellent, so special, so successful. And he says, listen, you cannot expect this from every game studio. It just is impossible. This could kill other studios if that's what you're expecting. Now, people weaponizing the game were quick to jump on this. They're like, yeah, you're panicking because your game sucks or you guys don't know what you're doing. Okay, we've all seen this before. A really bad game is constantly thrown in the faces of devs as well as fans. Things like fix your game or dead game. These become war cries and tribal chants of the masses. And it doesn't stop there. The console warring and childish bickering in gaming social spaces is often one of bad game grenade throwing, right? You just keep throwing things back and forth like, well, your game suck. Screenshots of Metacritic scores are lobbed back and forth as if some strange game of battleship is being played. If you land enough bad game blows on the other side, you might sink their fandom battleship. But now, in some bizarro universe turn of events, a really good game has been weaponized in similar ways. First, it's been weaponized in the way that we've already seen. I've seen a narrative and a claim that, well, no game needs DLC or microtransaction. Baldur's Gate 3 proves it. Three years of early access, which is basically fan funding, is not something that we want every game doing. Steam is already overwhelmed with games in what feels like an eternal early access ocean. So this presumption isn't just foolish, it's out of touch. If you want to celebrate a successful game not having microtransactions, by all means, do it. But turning the game into a blunt object to bludgeon other game devs with is just weird. Also keep in mind that Larian has indicated that they want to do DLC in the future, but not to expect anything anytime soon. So even a game as pure and perfect as Baldur's Gate 3 may seem to be thinking about the potential of extra content down the line. And they should. A game of this size would be foolish to not at some point look at expanding and adding if possible. Now the second way this game has been weaponized is by console warriors. While a little console warring here and there is entertaining, I'm finding the entire exercise tiring. I'm simply unable to cover any game from either side without it becoming grounds to call me a hater or a shill. On both sides, I think are guilty of just complete and utter nonsense when it comes to Baldur's Gate 3. First, the Sony fans were touting this as if it was an exclusive. It isn't a timed exclusive, even though that is how it's playing out. And the constant invocation of this is frustrating. Do you want to know why it's frustrating that you keep calling it a timed exclusive when it's not? You could actually win more points by calling it what it is. It's a late arrival. A non-paid-for, no-contract-required late arrival on Xbox. That's a far worse scenario than a few months of timed exclusivity. So, lesson learned. You can land stronger points against the opposition if you just speak honestly. But don't worry, the Sony fans aren't the only guilty party in the room. Xbox fans should be embarrassed. First, there were the strong claims of denial. It's not the Series S, it's the devs. That's why the game can't come to Xbox on time, even in the face of dev interviews, tweets, and comments clearly pointing to the Series S. Mental backflip gymnasts were quick to dismiss those comments or twist them. And can you be blamed, really? I don't think you can, when your fearless leader, Phil Spencer, lied to the public during an interview with IGN about the situation at Gamescom. Well, it landed him in a hilarious walkback 24 hours later as Larian announced the game was coming to Xbox without feature parity. So Phil Spencer goes from saying, it's not a hardware problem, we're not abandoning parity, to 24 hours later, taking the game without parity. I found it to be hilarious, and I found his dishonesty to be upsetting. 
This is what happens when you're committed to facts, when you're committed to evidence and truth. You, you can hand wave, obfuscate, and twist things to your own narrative. So instead of just being celebrated as the clear game of the year frontrunner, Baldur's Gate 3 is at the heart of a storm made of false pontificated fecal matter. Gamers who weaponize a good game prove that they aren't worthy of a good game that they're wielding like a baseball bat. 2023 is one of the best years we've had in gaming, and I plan to continue celebrating that while pushing the fringe out of view and while why while we're talking about this why not learn from larian right why not try to leverage the unique circumstances that they were able to leverage so what were the unique circumstances well one of the questions that comes to mind is are there any developers out there right now that could leverage what larian had right when i think of big studios with big property that could potentially take a similar approach well two games come to mind and the first we've already discussed diablo 4 Sadly, we can't travel back in time and let Diablo 4 launch in early access three years ago because it clearly could have become a much better game. Not just as a live service game, but as an RPG in general. All the player feedback about the content loop, the leveling, the skill trees, class balancing, all of that would have helped shape it into a much stronger game. Now they have to tread the live first exercise like early access gamut, right? The game's already live. It went live first and now you're going to try and treat it like it's early access. This could lead to a great game down the road, but there are two other games that I will cite in a moment and they are going to make that climb very, very difficult for Diablo. Now the second game I thought of was Elder Scrolls 6. With the review scores of Starfield continuing to fall, Bethesda has some soul searching to do, in my opinion. And Baldur's Gate 3 is certainly a test case for games like Elder Scrolls 6. You have a massive franchise and you have decades of institutional knowledge. But one thing that could really work here, I think, is a new engine. What better way to build and test Elder Scrolls 6 than in early access? Even the format of Baldur's Gate 3, giving folks the first act all this time, you build the first area, you build the first act, and then you let people play it. And then you just build on top of that. You take in all that player feedback. As pointed out by Mr. Nelson, a massive project can lead to financial ruin if not handled well, and Bethesda may need to re-earn confidence and favor after Starfield. It has yet to top Fallout 4 Steam chart numbers as well as it's already fallen well below 80% at like a 77. That's well where I said it would land, but that's not what people want to see if they're going to place confidence in the future of anything from Bethesda. But that doesn't mean that early access is a one-size-fits-all solution to minimize risk. Even early access comes with its own risks. You're going to let folks see your product early. They can really That can really damage perception. That can really damage confidence. So the situation's more delicate than many think. If you really want to consider a fragile or delicate undertaking, look at live service games. Ironically, the most non-live service game ever, Baldur's Gate 3, is showing how to launch a live service game. If you look at Path of Exile, if you look at Last Epoch, they seem to already be doing this. They're heavily incorporating player feedback and involvement, and it's taking their games further than they probably would go on their own. And they are posing, I think, a significant challenge for Diablo 4. So, are big studios and game devs panicking about Baldur's Gate 3? Is Baldur's Gate 3 the new standard for games and RPGs? 
No, I, I don't think so. But from where I sit, that doesn't mean that we can't learn a ton of lessons from what the game got and how it got to the height that it is now. And that, I think, is a rising tide that will lift all boats if companies can properly navigate the treacherous waters of game development. So let me give you my thoughts and my conclusion here. Game comparisons will never ever go away. While they are certainly not wrong or unhelpful, most of the time I find comparisons misused. If a game is successful, then every game should do what it did. If a game fails, then every game like it is doomed to failure. This is a common trope anytime I debate live service games. The pendulum of success does not swing so cleanly. So many factors go into why a game succeeds or fails. If the formula was simple, well, companies would be making more successful games. You wouldn't see fail years they would just apply the formula the second thing i want to say is the tribalism in gaming is settling into the bone marrow of the public discourse at this point and it's more than tiring it's irritating much like the games that succeed and the games that fail people want neat little boxes to put other people into objectivity is lost in an ocean of obfuscation and hostility so much so that even a good game causes both parties to sling mud we cannot objectively speak about the series s being a problem without being attacked We can't speak frankly about a game coming late to another system without being labeled. I don't even feel like I'm fighting with an opposition anymore. I feel like I'm fighting to give above a tide of insanity just to have a conversation. So my conclusion is this. If you've reached the point where you can't celebrate even the best of games, maybe it's time to self-reflect. Weaponizing every square inch of gaming has to be an exhausting and inauthentic way to live. Constantly attacking and maligning others isn't healthy. Warring on Twitter, forums, Reddit, or YouTube will not add minutes to your life. It's wasting them. So, is Baldur's Gate 3 the new standard? No. It's just another great game that had the misfortune of launching during one of the most toxic and unhealthy times in gaming and public discourse. I say it's time to plot a new course, and I plan to do just that, blocking and leaving behind those who refuse to engage in healthy ways, and hoping to find greener pastures and brighter horizons. And that's the show open. Thank you guys so much for being here discussing Baldur's Gate 3 this morning and everything that's gone into this game and the public discourse I have just found to be wholly exhausting. Uh, it, it is, it's tiring to see a good game constantly bludgeoned on other people's timelines and other game developers' feeds and used as some sort of weird talking point it's like it's just a great game why can't we just celebrate the fact that it is a great game the way the guy keeps talking about starfield like it's a failure or complete disappointment confuses me that's hype that's hyperbole you're you're displaying the very thing that i just talked about in the show ender there everybody wants to be super super uh, categorical you want to like put me into a category I've not said that it's a complete disappointment or a failure nothing I said in the show open indicates that you're concluding that or projecting that on to the conversation it's like I can't say anything negative about Starfield without somebody like you walking in the room and doing that I I can't talk about Baldur's Gate 3 without people claiming well it runs terribly oh well it's it's a timed exclusive and it's like we, we can't have 
have actual conversations. We do this thing that's like, it's like the illusion of a conversation where we never really converse. You just hurl false summaries at me and I'm constantly saying, I didn't say that. I don't feel that. I don't think that. Like, it's not a real conversation. It's the illusion of one. DK Baker. DK Baker starts the monthly goal off with the first gifted member. I actually don't know where the current member count is because we do have a new way to show you guys the big overarching goal. We're going to need a bit of a bounce back as we always do every month when you guys go crazy. You guys went crazy last month and the member goal for uh, the Gollum stream is 4,500 and you guys are going to have to really, really climb because every single time you guys have a big banger month, 30 days later, those guys are going to fall out of the pool. So we're currently at like a 2,800. Let me push a button on the camera one second. It's going to keep doing like the white balance thing and it drives me crazy. Okay, there we go. And now we can turn on the timer and we can have this thing flip back and forth. (laughs) Blurred Rurotic with a gifted membership. Thank you so much for doing that. Games need to stop putting nudity in them. It's just degeneracy. Well, I mean, you can turn it off in Baldur's Gate 3. I mean, obviously not every game does that. Some games do because it's within their artistic purview. They think it belongs in the game. I mean, it's their game. I'm talking about the review score thing specifically. I wouldn't use Metacritic as any metric since you don't need proof of purchase or if you use Steam uh, also, which I can accept. Yeah, I'm talking about the... uh, I'm talking about the Steam score, right? Like, I think... Right now, if you've got a big piece of property, right, you've got a big franchise like Diablo or like Elder Scrolls, I think you can learn from Baldur's Gate 3. I don't think Baldur's Gate 3 is the new standard, but I think the idea of like, hey, we can we can put our game in early access, we can put our game out there to the world, and we can basically acquire tons of feedback right and that's massively beneficial that's massively beneficial i think that diablo 4 could have benefited greatly from this type of a structure i think baldur's gate 3 is showing like listen if you have a game of this size and scope and you already have a recognizable product a recognizable brand then put it out there like let people let people enjoy giving you that that symbiotic relationship that that element and that lane of feedback i think elder scrolls 6 could totally do it i do i think you could let people get access to the first portion of the game the first area of the game or whatever and really get a lot of great feedback i think that whenever you're looking at a game like baldur's gate 3 i think the failure is to say no game can do that or every game should do that. I think those are both extremes. I think there are some games that could definitely learn from what they did and do something very, very similar. I don't think you necessarily need to go to every RPG in existence, every game in existence, and say, well, you need to do what Baldur's Gate 3 did. 
right? No microtransactions, do early access, get a bunch of feedback. Early access is not going to work for everybody because there's a handful of things that can go wrong with early access. Number one, you're letting people play the game ahead of time. Number two, if nobody knows who you are, then where are you going to get all this feedback? Like, obviously, Baldur's Gate 3, it's the third game. It's attached to Dungeons & Dragons. It's got a lot in its corner to fill the player funnel from the very beginning. Definitely agree this won't be the standard, says Steam Crow. Plus, something not many people discuss is the importance of devs creating what they want to play. Not everybody wants a Baldur's Gate 3 type RPG. I'm not even down in the category of game type. I'm not. I'm talking about the construction of the game. What led to this game's greatness, what led to this game's, like, the standard that it has achieved, I think other games could do something similar. We don't all need CRPG turn-based. That's not, that's not, I've not indicated that anywhere in my content. My point was, you could learn from what they did if you want to fuel quality and value into another product into another game especially when you are like Diablo and when you are like Elder Scrolls when you're like those games you're in a particular position of leveraging that brand recognizability you've got something that everybody knows about like everybody knows Diablo everybody knows Elder Scrolls do you like do you honestly think Diablo launched in a way it's like that that, that worked Morning Lono, it's feed. I won't be using feed anymore. Okay, well, feed is not feed anymore. We gotta get him a member we gotta get him a membership now. What I don't know what happened to your other account, but it's glad to have you back, feed under a different name. Yo, what's good, Brap? Good to see you in the chat. Um if if you would have had three years of early access to Diablo 4, it would have been a different game. Do you understand? What if Baldur's Gate 3 would have just gone dark, not let anybody play the game, no early access, and just tried to launch the game this year? Do you think it would be as good as it is, knowing how much they benefited from early access and player feedback? 2023 has been a great year for the RPG. Uh, We have some other stuff coming, too. It has been a very, very good, yes. Uh, RPG year. Yeah, Derek doesn't have a badge either. We got to take care of that. We got to get the. We got to get Feed's new account a badge. We got to get Derek a badge. Christos says, "I'm just here to say I love Baldur's Gate three. Also to press like. Thank you, Christos. I appreciate that. I was gonna try and play some more Baldur's Gate three last night with my wife, but she was like, I don't really feel like playing that right now. So we just played a card game. Like that. She's kind of got to. You know, she has to be in the right frame of mind to play a video game like Baldur's Gate." Three. You can't just jump in and play it. It's not as casual as... I mean, we can play it casual. We're definitely going to try to. It's absolutely the new standard like The Witcher 3 was when it released. I don't think it's the new standard. I don't. I think that it's the, it's it's its own standard for its own games. Like, if you're going to try to build a game that 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 has RPG elements in it, this that's you don't have to do what Baldur's Gate 3 did. We need to define standard. Yeah, when you say standard, are you referring to the quality? Like it's a it's it's a polished game because again, that's intrinsically linked to the three years of early access. Even that, there even then, they're still patching the game. They've got significant problems in Act Three, which they've admitted to. So even if you're going to try to say, "Oh, this is the standard. This is the value games should aspire to hit," you might be glossing over the fact that the game still has issues that they're trying to fix after it's already launched so what are you talking standard for rpg 
I don't agree with that either. I don't think every RPG needs to have this level of, of, of depth, freedom of choice, and and complexity. That's just, that's overwhelming to try to put in every single game. I don't think that that is required either. You have to figure out what exactly you're trying to say, because when I say, is this the new standard, I think there's a variety of ways people are approaching this subject. There's even people approaching the subject with respect to, like, you shouldn't do microtransactions because Baldur's Gate 3 isn't doing it. And it's like, I don't understand how that's a conclusion. How How is that even remotely a conclusion that you're coming to from the game? I'm happy for Baldur's Gate fans, um, says Derek, but because I keep hearing nothing but praise for the new game. Not my thing, but it's nice to see good news for other gamers. Madam and I played it Friday night, and I we had a great time. It was hilarious. We had we were all over the place. Somebody said it was the most chaotic opening to the game they had ever seen. It was fantastic. You yeah, you definitely need to check it out. Victory with a ten dollar super chat tip. I don't care for petty wars, but timed exclusive, late arrival, staggered release. The end result is the same regardless of the terms we agree on. The term policing just feels like political correctness. <laughs> no, I'm not term policing. What I'm saying is you can actually have better communication and clarity when you use the right words. It's like when people throw around the words pay to win and predatory. If it's not pay to win, and if it's not predatory, you're not having clear communication. There's a giant difference between the pay to win aspects in some of the sports games that are out there, and people who claimed Lost Ark was pay to win, okay? That's just confusing. If it's not a timed exclusive, and you're out here calling it a timed exclusive, you're just confusing everybody. It's like, wait... Is it a timed exclusive? Well, it basically is. So are they in a contract? No. Okay, well, how long is the timed exclusivity for? Nobody really knows. Like a month or two, maybe? Like, my point was not to police terms. I am ferociously committed to truth and accuracy. Like, that's why I get so annoyed with the people who obfuscate or frame things poorly it's like get out of here like i blocked a guy for that over the weekend i was like don't throw false stats at me and then act like i'm accountable to you like the hubris to think that i answer to you you're just a smear merchant and a liar so i just blocked them it's like i don't do this thing that you're doing i don't and i think clarity in terminology is the key to good communication victory with a 10 spot my sis was attacked on social media for simply using the word. She's not some super plugged in gamer. She was aware that it's only a PlayStation at the moment and answered a question. Thank you for the 10 spot. <clears throat> I, her being attacked is not right, but I, I also don't think you can use the wrong terms and get upset if you get corrected. Rissick! Rissick comes in and drops a five bomb on the chat and Derek gets scooped up in there. That's what we wanted to see. Seven members already on the day. Thank you, Rissick. Christos got one as well. Listen, if you guys just got a gifted membership, you need to go back and you need to see my wife and I play the opening to Baldur's Gate 3. It is hysterical. Rissick also renewed for 24 months and a VIP gold. Says another milestone down, another one to go like i don't i don't ever want to see somebody attacked on social media but if you use the wrong term and someone says hey it's not a timed exclusive right 
I think sometimes people are like, oh, I'm getting attacked. Are you getting attacked or are you getting corrected? Right? There's a big difference between the two. I didn't see what happened. I just know we we tend to we tend to the hyperbole. I will watch this Baldur's Gate 3 with Madam. You're going to have to, well, maybe not. Don't skip the opening. We usually sit and chat for about an hour or so. So if you want to just see us laugh and joke and have a good time, you can see that. Or you can just skip ahead to the gameplay. Joker Quinn gifts a member and adds to the pile. Thank you so much. You guys got a long way to go. We This Friday is the Mortal Kombat stream. You earned the Mortal Kombat stream, but the Gollum stream is a long ways off. We've dropped down to about 2,800 members. 4,500 is the goal. So thank you guys so much. We've got a ton of, of, of rewards this month still to do. The Mortal Kombat stream, the Beat Saber stream, and I'm forgetting one. I'm, I can't remember what the other one is. I can't remember what it is. Um, I've, it's, it's escaped my brain. Uh, maybe I'm just thinking of the Gollum one that we didn't hit. I can't remember. I thought there was a third one. I would say it literally adds zero things to the game that you just can't imply. But if you have it, it will add to sales because you want people to see it. I would say that we shouldn't feed that desire. I'm not sure what you're saying, Dalton. I just think we should have higher expectations from ABK, a $70 billion company, should have no issue producing quality. Here's the thing, K, uh, K, Karaswan, I'm going to call you K. Thank you, D-Tom, for 24 months and a member plus. That's a red badge. Here's the thing. Give me a sec. Yeah, the Jar Jar is the Beat Saber stream. It's Mortal Kombat, it's Beat Saber, and was that it? I think maybe I'm just forgetting the stretch goal. It's just the two. Thank you, JC. It's okay. I don't have a problem with expecting quality or value or greatness from games. I think that's totally fine. That's not what this 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 gentleman on Twitter, Xavier. How do you say Xavier with an L in it? Xavier. I don't. I, I literally can't say it. I'm like trying. X. Xavier, Exalavier, Exalavier, is that how you say it? Exalavier? Oh, it's such a tongue twister. Anyway, we'll call him Mr. Nelson. Exalavier Nelson Jr. said that this, you can't come to developers and say, we expect Baldur's Gate 3 level every time. Zalavier? Oh, is it Z? Zalavier? I've never seen the name before in my life. I'm familiar with Xavier and Javier, but I was like, I don't know what this is. I've never seen this before, right? Thank you, TaylorMade with 16 months in a VIP. Back with love. Thank you. We're going to call him Mr. Nelson because I, I don't want to spend the next 20 minutes trying to figure out how to say the man's name. His Twitter thread was just so reasonable. It was just reasonable. It's like, listen, listen, listen. If you guys think this is normal, if you think other companies just need to like work a little bit harder and just just do better, just get good, that's not what happened here. Do you see? It's I don't think that that's the conclusion he wanted anybody to come to because that's what gamers do. Gamers can't help themselves. They see a game do something and it's successful, and they're like, yep, every game should do that. Every, sing- every single game should do exactly what they just did. They'll see a game fail, and they're like, yep, games like this are failures. They're never going to get anywhere. Like, we commonly run into that trope with live service games, right? 
I think that's a serious issue anymore. Wheezy's got new Switch stuff. Nate the Hate shares new info. Summarizes interesting tidbits. Breath of the Wild demo ran at 4K60. Instant loading times compared to 30 second loading on Switch. The LSS is being used with supposedly 3.5, but it may not have had all the features the PC does. The Matrix demo looked the exact same as it does on next-gen consoles. Supposedly better ray tracing. However, keep in mind it most likely wasn't running on native hardware, but on a PC dev kit. March has a date being discussed at Gamescom, but Nate's unsure if the reveal date or release date. It's going to be the reveal date. They said on an earnings call, no new hardware before April. I told you 4K was possible. Everybody called Everybody called me a madman. They called me a madman. And I said, everything I'm reading, I, I think they're going to be able to do it. I think they're going to be able to market the next Switch on 4K. But we can't do that. Javier Cotto comes in. Good to see you, Javier. We got to bump the line up here to nine. Nine members on the day already. Thank you guys so much. Guys, we've had some people gifting members and doing super chats. Do me a favor. If you can't gift a member, if you can't do your own membership, that's totally fine. But you can press the like button. That's free. And that really helps this video find more people. How much of this discussion applies more to the higher ups than it does to the actual developers? Poor planning and strategy is far more detrimental than low skill or effort by devs. That's another element of the discussion, Parasito. Like, if we actually look at one of the worst launches this year, if you look at Redfall, I don't think we can conclude that, like, Arcane Austin is bad. It's not Arcane Austin being bad. That's not the answer. The question is, how did this happen? And when you discover the answer, it's it's almost always leadership. Anthem was almost identical. It was it was eerily identical. This idea that we're gonna build a game that we have no idea how to build. We've never built a game like this before, and leadership just completely fumbles the ball. And then when the game comes out, everyone's like, what happened? These devs must be terrible. And it's like, no, it's not the devs. Even even the guy, uh, Xelavier Nelson Jr., even that guy said, you can have all the talent in the world. It doesn't matter. That doesn't guarantee you a successful product. Hey, another gifted member from Patrick Q. Thank you so much, Patrick. I'm going to bump it here. To t- Oop, I can't do that anymore. That's right. With our new formatting, I can't highlight all the text. There we go. Why bother making a game if it's just like another game defeats the purpose of making a new game really and just adds to the bland of doing what's been done already? Well, I mean, to a certain extent, you have to ask the question of what game are you talking about? Are you talking about indie titles or AA titles? Because I actually think they're one of the places where you do see quite a bit more innovation and creativity. But beyond that, even if you look at AAA titles, I think one of the challenges is... If you don't stick to what's familiar, it's harder to market. It's harder to have success. Think about it. Think about it, right? This is super relevant. This is super relevant to the ongoing conversation with Starfield. It's super relevant. Because if they would have marketed Starfield as it is, as it's basically Fallout in space, okay, it would not have been that impressive to people. Why? Well, because of what you just said. People would say, we've already played that game. We, we've, we, I, we've already played Fallout. This happens with Far Cry. This happens with Assassin's Creed. This happens with so many games. 
people basically say, what's the point? We've already played that game. Make something new. This happens with Call of Duty, right? Every single big mainline title that that just kind of does it again, they get accused of, well, we've played this game before. The same thing happened with Tears of the Kingdom, okay? So, you try to do something new, you try to do something fresh, there's so much risk involved there. What if nobody wants to play that? What if everybody's like, no, you've broken too far from the path? So, Bethesda tries what is very difficult, and they they do a new IP. Well, new IPs are also difficult, because what do you have to do with the new IP? you got to market the heck out of it. You have to spend a ton of money marketing your brand's new IP. Bungie had to go through this with Destiny, right? They, they marketed the heck out of the original Destiny. Look what it did when it launched, right? It didn't live up to the marketing. It didn't live up to what everybody was hoping for. It was this huge departure from what they had ever built before. So because of that, because of that, whether you look at Destiny 1's launch, whether you look at, you know, Baldur's Gate 3 or Starfield, you see some of the same elements and challenges. It's like Baldur's Gate 3 took something that was familiar. They took a brand, they took a recognizable IP, they took Dungeons and Dragons, and what do they do? Instead of trying to like just privately say well, we got to innovate. If we innovate too much, we're going to upset the fans. If we don't innovate enough, we're going to get told it's just like the last game. So what they do? They said, "Let's go early access. Let's let the com- let's let the community shape this game." I think certain games are hitting such a scope and such a size. I think success is becoming more and more difficult. I really do. I think one of the things that has made it so hard for Starfields to succeed, it's so big, they made it so massive, right? And they and they committed to all these things super early, likely in the dev cycle, that when it lands and the player base kind of splits and there's people who are like, this is amazing, and there's other people who are like, I'm bored to tears, I don't get it. There's no way to course correct that. There's no way to reshape that to capture more people. It's too late. The, 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 the aircraft carrier can only turn so fast. It's such a giant game. They ran into similar issues with Destiny. It was like, Destiny took a long time to write the ship and to make the changes. Why? Well, they had already plotted a course that many people were like, well, this isn't the game that I was expecting. And so you're always fighting against that. You're fighting against the sheer size of the game itself and then trying to sort of magnetize it and bring it over more in line with what the community and what the larger public wants to see. Yo, good morning, uh, Ravenstorm. Parasito says, Nelson's mention of tools also stands out in my mind. These other devs have tools that have been in play for many years. What's stopping games like COD from having great tools? So, he mentioned tools, but something I think missing from Nelson's commentary is team size. So something that I think is happening is I think we're starting to see it's not we said this the other day that efficiency doesn't scale infinitely, okay? So let's say you have a warehouse with 10 people in it and it's very efficient at making a particular widget, okay? Throwing 50 more people in the warehouse doesn't automatically equate more efficiency. Do do you see? You can't just scale efficiency infinitely. 
I think you hit a point where you say efficiency has depreciating returns if you get too large. It's you, you get you get to like the mega game size or the mega studio size. You get up here into the eight hundred and nine hundreds, and then it's, you're going to start to have a depreciating efficiency because you're spread so so far. Now Larian's sizable at seven hundred across multiple studios. I think once you get beyond that size, I think it gets really, really challenging to self-reflect on how the project's doing, how your teams are doing, what is the vision of the game coming to fruition. It's so big, it's so massive. It's It would be like trying to write a book, and the book has 100 chapters, and you have 100 different teams working on those 100 chapters. Having a cohesive story would be uh, would be absolutely, absolutely challenging. Now, obviously, that analogy is not perfect, but it encapsulates, I think, the picture of what mega game development can look like. And that's why I think these large, large, massive games, they're almost a threat into themselves. They threaten themselves with their sheer size and their, in, in, and the, and their sheer scope because so much has to go right. There was a GDC talk I listened to, and those speaking often find that more and more devs employed tends to show a slower process of development, to your point. Right, you cannot infinitely scale efficiency in development. Now, in some cases you can, right? Pure mechanical environments you can. If you have eight machines that can create 100 widgets an hour... And you go from eight machines creating 800 widgets an hour. You go from eight machines to 100 widgets. I'm sorry, 100 machines. Well, those 100 widgets are... Those 100 machines are creating at that same efficiency. Does that make sense? You got eight machines that can crank out this much. Well, pure mechanical, you can scale to a certain degree. And when you do that, I think when you do that, it's like, well... A lot of people assume that that's how development works as well, but you're dealing with specialized, specialized skills, specialized tools. You've got teams that have to nail certain things because if they don't nail their thing, then the guy over here is going to really, really struggle, right? If you just just look at like games that have NPCs, right? You got like Hogwarts Legacy, you got like Horizon Forbidden West. And then you have Starfield, right? There's tons of NPCs in both of these games. And if one team along the way messes something up or doesn't do a great work or doesn't do a great job, it affects everybody's work. You can record fantastic voice dialogue, right? I think the voice acting in Starfield is quite good. I think it's, 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 it's quite excellent. That doesn't matter if the faces start acting funny or if the character freaks out, right? You can be having like a really poignant moment and if the person's head spins around or their eyes roll back in their head because of some glitch, that kind of ruins the moment, right? I was playing a game. I forget what game it was. There was a story. There was something going on with the story. And there was something going on in the background of the scene that like wasn't supposed to happen. And it was hilarious. And it kind of ruined the moment, right? So you have to think in those terms. Like It's like, well, the game is so large. If you get too large, teams A, B, and C can be absolutely nailing it. And then the teams after them could be struggling or having a hard time or they're trying to innovate on things that just won't wrestle to the ground. Name them 10 things. I'm not sure what you're talking about. What what 10 things? What are you talking about? 
when I talked about the ten machines building the widgets, were you talking? What are you? Who are you talking to? Are you talking to me? You keep saying name them ten things. Behemoth with thirty months and a VIP plus. Welcome back. Thank you so much. If you guys are just tuning in, we're discussing Baldur's Gate three and what exactly we're considering is is essentially is like is this the new standard like this game's been sort of weaponized it's been weaponized by console warriors it's been weaponized by people that want to see other games do exactly what they did i'm talking to a guy in chat oh i was like i thought you were talking to me i was like i had just said the thing about the widgets and you started saying that i was like i I was just making up a metaphor like making up an analogy Parasito says, I don't think studios in the 700 to 1,000 people range are functionally that different. I've worked in a few digital design related companies, scaling from 5 to 250 people, and almost all workflows were the same. Companies like Treyarch, Rare, or similar fall into the same bucket as Larian in my mind. People like Bungie or Blizzard are definitely bigger and require different things. Having adequate tools and workflow doesn't change how efficient the machines in the factory are, but nobody on the planet is able to keep those machines fed 100% of the time. Truly good dev tools just help bring that number up. I mean, in general, I think that the the challenge is not just having size. It's having, if you don't have good vision transfer, if your engine's old, if you're struggling to debug. I mean, there's all kinds of things I think that can come from that large of a company. I mean, what do they say about Call of Duty? Like the previous version, they said something to the effect of like, we can't even find the bugs was essentially, I'm paraphrasing. That was essentially what they said. We can't even find the bugs. It's just too big. It was basically spaghetti code. We don't even know where they are. So, I mean, even having good tools and, and even having good a good staff, does that matter if the scope of the engine, if the scope of the project is so insurmountable that you can't, like, you can't, you can't find bugs? You know, we don't know why that happens. I think their process should be the new standard if the game in question can fit that mold, says Creature. Victory says, just to be clear, I know you speak on the terms in good faith with specifically hardcore gamers, but people foam over minor differences in words that casuals can be expected to know. Well, Victory, that's why that's why I actually took a pretty strong stance against gaming media and gaming journalism. I think it's largely pretty terrible right now, and I thought Escapist Magazine was good to point out that when you fail in your duty as a journalist to pursue truth, when you fail in that regard, you can quite literally sear the public consciousness to think something that's not true. And that's essentially what happened with this Baldur's Gate 3 narrative. A failure to pursue truth and accuracy led to a terrible framing. Devs are panicking over Baldur's Gate 3. And guess what? We're all guilty of this. I saw the headlines and thought, "What? Why?" Well, if you don't if you don't train yourself to be diligent to go look and be like, "Okay, what's this article saying? What what's going on? What devs are panicking?" Well, I went and looked at what was said and I was like, "Nobody's panicking." That Nobody's panicking at all. Some guy who owns and operates a smaller studio, and he, he seems incredibly thoughtful and incredibly bright, and he's like, 
this cannot be the new standard. There are so many circumstances here that led to this. And I think one of the things that really lampooned and sabotaged his efforts was because some guy from Blizzard chimed in. And I think there was somebody else, maybe somebody from Activision. They chimed in! And they're like, yeah, man, don't expect this from everybody. It's like, wait, hold on just a minute. For the average developer, for the average game, yes, you can't run to them and say, we expect Baldur's Gate 3 level of greatness. That seems absurd. But Blizzard? We we, we can't have that or expect that from Blizzard, from Diablo? There was that Rockstar level nonsense guy too. I'm not, I, I didn't see that quote. Crinab's talking over here on kick and says, what are you, what you are talking about is a real economic phenomenon. Basically, if you add a person to the system, you get X efficiency. The next person you add, you get X minus random value efficiency. Eventually you just add new persons. You don't get anything in return, right? There's a, there's a level of, there's a level of, of efficiency that you just, you can't just scale beyond it. It's like, this is as efficient as we're going to get. I think as soon as the Blizzard guy commented on the thread, he sabotaged the whole thing because the average person was like, Diablo 4 has no excuse. You have a war chest of funding. You have decades of institutional knowledge and expertise. You have a recognizable brand. You don't have any excuse. What, what, you, what you shoved out, there's, there's no excuse for. And I think that's what sabotaged the whole thing. Because then everybody's like, "Oh, developers are are panicking. They don't want to expect to be. Oh, we don't. We can't be expected to do this. Not what Larian did. The Rockstar level quote is pathetic. I would need to see it. I'm not sure what. I've not seen the quote. Maybe I have, and I'm just forgetting it. Doesn't mean we can't ask any dev to try harder to move toward that standard or at least improve. Yo, Ragnarok, thanks for jumping back in as a VIP. There's no complacency in quality. We have to be okay with remaining the same." Well, do we honestly think that devs out there aren't trying their, like, like for the most part, they're not trying their best? Mo- most devs. I'm not saying all. I'm saying most. Do, do you think devs are just out here, like, complacent and they don't want to try to make a great game? They don't want to be held to high standards? You know what I mean? That that's 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 where I come from on this. I'm like, who who are these developers that are just like we don't want to make a good game? <laughs> we don't care. What are they doing then? Why are they in the industry? I don't think that's what it comes down to. I think a lot of times it comes down to timelines, publishers, investors, leadership. I don't think you, you just have development teams that are like, ah, frick it, like we don't care. <clears throat> How much we get depends on the devs. Is that is that the simplest and was that the most accurate answer? I don't think that's the most accurate answer. I would think most devs are doing the best they can with the tools and resources they have at their disposal. That's what I mean. I, I don't sure try their hardest, but if they fail, don't expect 70 pounds. Well, to a certain extent, there's two discussions to have there, right? There's the discussion about pricing. Not every dev is charging the 70. Some devs are staying at a lower cost because their their game is smaller or they are smaller. But 
I've not listened to, seen, or met a single dev that has ever said, yeah, I just want to make a meh game. Larian self-publishes, it's an advantage. Ashton says, most sports games developers look at Madden FIFA. Granted, that's a cop-out answer. Online MVP with 30 months and a VIP gold. There are some big boys in chat today, and we've got a long way to go if you guys want the if you guys want the Gollum stream. Maybe we should just there it is! I knew it. I knew it. I could smell it. I was like, here he comes. As I said, online MVP. He drops it. Takes it all the way to 30. Somebody could tag team and drop another 20 all the way to 50. Unbelievable. Watch out. These guys will swing at chat, and it will take you on an elevator ride. They will shove everything out of the chat. They will flex with those gifted members. Thank you so much, Online MVP. If you just got a gifted member, consider paying it forward and gift a member to somebody else. Every 25, I give five to pay it forward, to pay it back, and to say thank you. So you guys that just got one out of the kindness of Online MVP, pay that kindness forward. I believe there will be a day where we will not be able to stop the stream because there's always going to be somebody paying forward a gift. Like It'll be like that day where somebody pays for the Starbucks behind them for like nine hours. <laughs> Video games have never been better. All the petty arguing is silly. These people tie their entire personality to the failure and the success of a single game. It's funny. Yeah, I kind of want to shift away from the nebulous conversation that we're having. It's a difficult conversation to have. I feel like it's been productive and enjoyable, but I want to move away. Javier Cotto! Javier Cotto, the king of interrupting my sentences, drops a 20 bomb and tag teams it up to 50 with online MVP. They walk in the ring and they're tag teaming it. Does anybody else want to jump in to try to fight against these monsters? Thank you so much, Javier Cotto. Another 20 bomb from online MVP, and he bumps it up to 70 just like that. The agent of chaos, and then some, taking us to the next goal of 75. And Kyle Wilkerson, he jumps on top as well and says 80 looks pretty healthy to me because that's 20 away from 100. And DK Baker says, we can't have a nice even 80. We'll put an 81 on the board. Thank you so much for a gifted member, DK Baker. DK's always in the mix, making sure people get gifted members. Absolutely stellar. Wheezy says, that was abs- uh, that's what I was saying a few weeks ago. It was absolutely BS when one of the Diablo 4 leads chimed in. Absolute effing BS to claim Larian has years of expertise, like Blizzard hasn't been developing Diablo for over 30 years. Yeah, I think that Blizzard guy kind of sabotage the entire conversation it's like hey hey hey, you shush you had more than enough time more than enough institutional knowledge more than enough money more than enough people to make a good Diablo 4 you have no excuse now I will say Diablo 4 can learn from what Larian learned and say maybe for Diablo 5 we do early access maybe for Diablo 5 we do a couple of years of early access it would have saved Diablo 4 from a bunch of of heartache and a bunch of terrible decisions, right? It would have. 
It would have. 20 from Stonespire. This guy's coming in. He absolutely dominated a couple months ago, and he's back, and he's back with a force, and he takes us all the way to 101. I can't even get the spacing right on the member goal because you guys are absolutely taking us into the stratosphere. This is a remarkable day. I'm going to have to update the goal that slides out. That's a new feature that we now have that you guys can track the big ones and stone spire drops a big one absolutely insane i told you i could sense it in the air i was like "Uh uh-oh i was like they're all in chat at the same time (laughs) all the big boys are in chat at the same time okay I want to shift gears, all right? I'm trying to shift gears away from the nebulous standards. Should we hold people to these standards? What went into Baldur's Gate 3, okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and shift here in just a second. Solemn says, let me put it like this. Not every dev is going to be there thinking of their job as artwork. Not every dev cares about their job beyond 40 hours and getting a paycheck. Not everyone wants to come in and do more work than necessary because they care. I work in nursing and rehab facilities, and you would think most of these nurses and CNAs would be passionate about their job and caring for people, but the reality is maybe 5% at the facility does, and that's very much reflected in their work or the lack of. Right, not everyone's an ideal worker. I I wasn't trying to romanticize developers and act like they're all coming to work bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and they can't wait to wake one more you know, bush in this world, right? They're like, I can't wait to make another bush. It's going to look amazing, right? The, the little branches and the little leaves, it really just gives me existential meaning. I, I understand that. That's not what I was trying to imply. Generally speaking, I don't think game companies or game projects run off the rails because developers don't care or are lazy. I think it almost always comes down to leadership malpractice. You have people in positions of leadership that mismanage the project, whether it's bad vision casting or timelines or project management. You have bad project leads. You have bad communication between the project leads and the leadership. Like, usually that's where the breakdown comes from, okay? Like, in, in, your, jo- in your line of work, Solomon, the same could probably be said. If something goes really, really wrong, it's usually going to be something linked to mismanagement, not because Sally doesn't really care about her job. Does that make sense? Even if she's a little apathetic on a Tuesday and she could care less, you know, that Bertha's crying down the hallway and she's like, I'll get there when I get there. Like, that's not like institutional failings, systemic failings are typically not linked to an employee being kind of meh about their job. That, that would be how I would I would couch it. So, I, I, I do want to shift, though, because I have a stronger... I have, a, I have a, a, maybe a little bit more of a passion to, like, elevate the conversation here. Because the end of my monologue got a little sanctimonious. It got a little preachy because I've really genuinely gained not just irritability or exhaustion or fatigue but I feel like a resolved righteous indignation about the way the conversation is always hijacked and the way that people are attacked and the way that the tribalism has just it's taken root into the marrow it's like an infection that's gone beyond the surface it's gone beyond the skin and the muscle and the bone the tribalism is into the marrow of the bone 
and I'm just, I'm opposed to it. I'm against it. I'm not your enemy. But if that's the way you approach these conversations and me, then you don't exist in my world. I push you to the fringe where you belong. I want to have conversations with people. And I cannot abide or give time to smear merchants and liars and people who run false narratives on me. Some guy tried to do that on the weekend. I was like, block. It's like, I don't, I'm not interested in this. Whatever you're doing, it, it's, it's nothing to me. You're playing marbles in a pile of garbage. You're playing some game and keeping some score that doesn't matter to me. I, I have no interest in that at all. It's like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not having your pitiful, childish conversations and fights. I'm over it. You you want to come in and falsely couch me, falsely kip, clip me? That's fine. That's the world you live in. You live in some false reality. I'm not going there anymore. I'm so over it. It's not at all conducive to conversation it's not conducive to just healthy engagement and community building it's like you can't you can't keep going this way it's not healthy it simply isn't healthy i felt that way for years now says eugene always getting dragged into the muck and the mire it's impossible it's like so we can't talk about baldur's gate 3 without that being the drumbeat. It's like, I don't want to do that. That's not that what... Can we talk about the game? Can we talk about what could be gleaned from this and learned from this? Can we talk about why this game will likely win game of the year? I'd rather talk about that than do this weird... It's it's a time exclusive. No, it's not. It's not the Series S's fault. Yes, it is. Like, come on. Like, that's, you're not even having, like I said this morning to that guy that came in and tried to do that. It's like, you're not even having a conversation. You're having the illusion of a conversation where you parrot talking points and somebody else does the same thing. And then you both walk away still miserable about something. You're not happy about something. It doesn't make any sense why you would behave in that way if you were. I came in late, so I did miss the context and subject of the opening monologue. So... What I said was not in response to that. No, yeah, I, you were just kind of engaging with the conversation at the moment. Like, even this morning, there has been... Even this morning, there has been a constant back and forth in chat about Starfield. Right? It's like, I've been streaming for an hour and nine minutes. I made one mention of Starfield and said... Given where it's landing right now, I think Bethesda is going to do some soul searching. I don't think you're seeing the results they hope for. I don't think you're seeing the results they aspired to. And I can't help but think about Elder Scrolls 6. And I look at Baldur's Gate 3 and I say, Elder Scrolls 6 can learn from Baldur's Gate 3. Diablo 4 can learn from Baldur's Gate 3. These are games that have institutional institutional knowledge and expertise and a history and tools and a background and you have a recognizable brand you have a very recognizable brand insomniac black with 24 months and a vip get ready uh big red finally four to five years of top tier content and still going strong thank you my man i appreciate that <clears throat> I'm having fun with Starfield on the Series X. I'm hoping to buy a PC so I can enjoy an enhanced experience with the player mods. uh, And I think that will elevate the game a lot. Right. But see, 
even that's a conversation I'm not having right now. I'm not having a conversation about who's liking, who's disliking the game, right? They said it did better than Fallout 4 by their metrics. I don't see any metrics that shows that. It scores lo- it's scoring lower than Fallout 4. The player base numbers aren't as aren't as strong as Fallout 4. I don't know why they're saying that. It surpassed Skyrim on Steam. Listen, that's not what I'm talking about. Even if you're enjoying that game, I can't help but think Bethesda's looking at it and saying, we can do better, right? Let's just say that. Let's just say that. We can do better. Even if you're loving the game, even if you pound on a green drum and you're like, yay, Xbox, okay? I love Starfield. Okay, cool, cool. Hang on a second. Do you think they can do better? Do you think Elder Scrolls 6 could be better? Do you think it could be a higher level of excellence? Do you think it could evolve the franchise more? Do you think that? I think that. I think Bethesda is capable of much more. I think Elder Scrolls 6 could be much more. And when I look at Baldur's Gate 3, I think this might be the way. This might be the way. Because early access, I think can get overused there's an ocean of early access on steam uh, it's it's just freaking everywhere right every, every every game's in early access but but when you have a recognizable brand like diablo 4 for an example imagine if diablo 4 would have done this three years ago recognizable brand early access you got the you got the the hive mind of the player base combing over your skill trees your your uh your your paragon boards your end game your structure to content your leveling all of those things because that's what boulders gate 3 did they let everybody have access to act one it's a recognizable brand it's dungeons and dragons everybody jumps in everybody gives them input and they shape the game in a symbiotic relationship with the community for three years okay diablo 4 could have done that well that ship has sailed okay I, that that ship has sailed. They're going to have to basically treat the next two years like early access, and that's unfortunate because I actually think Path of Exile and Last Epoch are standing ready to pounce. I think they're going to make it very very hard on Diablo to turn this ship around. I do. So the next game I thought of was what's a big RPG that's super recognizable and everybody knows it. Elder Scrolls. Like Elder Scrolls is an incredibly recognizable brand. Very, I guarantee you, a very loyal fan base. And if you launched Elder Scrolls 6 in early access and you gave it the Baldur's Gate 3 treatment, I, I can't see that as a bad idea. I see that as that's a great idea. You could learn so much because think about it from this perspective. Thank you, Mackie, for a $5 Super Chat tip. To be fair, The Elder Scrolls has more lore to work with in Starfield. Sure, sure, sure. Think about it like this, though. And Mackie, that's in their corner, by the way. All that lore, that's in their corner. Let's say, under the best estimates, that Elder Scrolls 6 comes out in six years. Right? It comes out in six years. So that's uh, 2029. Okay. So let's say the game comes out in 2029 and when it comes out in 2029 it's it's landing at a time where player expectations 
and thoughts about RPGs and thoughts about progression and da 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 da. All of that's evolved to a certain extent. So if you've not evolved with that, I think you're going to face some challenges. I think Baldur's Gate 3 is going to play a role here. I do. Baldur's Gate 3 early access wouldn't have worked if Larian was more popular at the time. People would have just complained the whole time. Uh, I, I don't know if I agree with that. You're saying that popularity in early access would what? Why would that hurt it? Right? Why would that, why would that hurt it? Elder Scrolls 6, 2626? Oh, I don't think we're getting Elder Scrolls 6 in three years. Now, we could get it in three years, Parasito, if in three years they launch early access. Right? Spider-Man will score higher than Starfield. I, I don't know, and I don't care. I, why, why does that matter to you? They're very different games. Like, I, I think at some level it's easier for action-adventure games to score in the high 80s. I think it's harder for games of Starfield scope to land in the high 80s. That's why I kept telling people, if it lands in the high 80s, that's impressive. It's landing mid and lower, and it's falling on Steam, and it's not doing great with the Xbox score either. I'd like... There's so many things that go into that. That's just such a that, that comparison so needless. Javier Cotto. Cotto! Oh my gosh, I ruined it. I tried to I tried. I tried so hard. Javier Cotto. <laughs> I was like mid like swallow. I was like mid swallow. 121 on the day. Javier Cotto's knocking the wind out of me with his generosity. Oh, that was terrible. <laughs> Man, good thing I'm not shoutcasting a soccer game. Yo, my kids on Saturday. Unbelievable. Champions. My son was a legend on Saturday. He was amazing. I kept telling him, like, you can lead. Quit playing back. And he did. He did. He scored the first two goals. I was I was I was screaming. I was exploding on the inside. My girls, the team I'm head coaching, one to zero, and they won. It was fantastic. It was wonderful. Anyway, side note, I had to gush on my kiddos. It was just amazing to watch. Oh, it's been awesome. Cause I keep telling them, you guys are really good. Like you need to believe. You need to believe how good you are. You don't seem to believe it. Dope shirt. You guys like the shirt? You wanna see something? This is another one from that company. Check this out. I'm, I, they're actually going to send me some unique prints because I want this on the front. It says wolves across the top, and then it says adapt and overcome, and then it's David getting ready to chop off Goliath's head. I uh, I kind of vibe with that. <laughs> I kind of it's a it's a it's kind of a vibe like my whole life being a shorter guy but also everything I've been through I'm like okay I kind of vibe with that can I have more shirts like that but I want it on the front dude give me that <laughs> so e ec77 ec77.co you can use code lono over there it, I love this shirt it's like one of my favorite shirts from them I love it They've got it. They've got they've got more shirts coming my way. I said I need them on the front. Right? I was like I need them on the front cuz that is so that artwork's legit. You know what I'm saying? Like 
A lot of people don't know that. They're like, yeah, David killed him with a stone. No. <laughs> he knocked him he knocked him down <laughs> with the stone. He cut his head off with his own sword. I'm with it. I'm with it. I'm like that's the energy I need. <laughs> Every day. That's it. Adapt and overcome. Anyway, Guys, if you haven't smashed the like button yet, do me a favor and do that. We're on the cusp of 300 likes. So we're discussing... The discussion's kind of all over the place. So if you're just tuning in, we're talking about Baldur's Gate 3. Is it the new standard? And one of the things that really frustrated me with Baldur's Gate 3 was how it was weaponized. It was weaponized by everybody, right? It was weaponized by everybody. The idea that you could take the, the the game and like a weapon like bludgeon developers and be like you should do this right you know no more microtransactions like everybody should do this right and then it kind of left that atmosphere of oddity and then it comes over here into the console war that i just don't get it it's like why are we celebrating a new a, a good game in such an odd way Parasita says, while I understand the frustration, I feel like the tribalism is baked in, especially in the case of Baldur's Gate 3, where they physically couldn't ship it on Xbox. I think Larian handled extremely well, releasing it on PC with full features, then PlayStation when it's ready, and now Xbox. It's hard to separate console wars from a console-driven release stack. Of course, of course it is, Paris. Yes. But, because because there's so little air in the room for conversation any any sensible logic gets choked out so you can't be like it's the series s no it's not hater pony it's like uh, it's the series s they said it's the series s no they said they lack the resources pony i oh okay i mean that's what they said no phil spencer said there's no hardware problems Oh, okay. I mean, the next day they had to walk that back. It's launching without parody on the series. You're just a pub's cry more pony. So I can't have a conversation with you. I can't. Now, conversely, the other side, the other side, right? Neighing and bucking like a horse. They're running around acting like this is a timed exclusive, Sony time exclusive. And they're attaching its Metacritic score to their Twitter profile like some Boy Scout merit badge. Like you did nothing, you have nothing to do with this, right? Javier Cotto didn't didn't get the wind knocked out of me that time. Thank you so much, Javier Cotto, bumping the line to one thirty-one. We appreciate it so so much. And the thing that frustrates me so much about this, Javier is so generous. By the way, Javier just bringing it again. You guys are going to have to go absolutely crazy hard if you're going to try and beat Javier Cotto this month again. He won last month. He's already got fifty gifted members on the day. So. The thing that really frustrates me about that, though, Paris, is we need better leaders. We have no leaders. This is why it's so insane. Without leaders, like it just becomes this mess and this muck of, well, people with platforms said it. People with a YouTube channel said it. And, and the bad and failed malpractice of the journalists and the YouTubers and the leaders, their failure to have logical, sensible conversations 
they have tried to malign anybody else trying to do that right if you try to rise above the tide of insanity they try to pull you back down into it that's it's been happening to me since the first quarter of this year it's like I cannot commentate or cover the Activision deal. I can't cover Baldur's Gate 3. I can't cover Starfield. I can't even cover showcases in the summer without that being the narrative driven by these 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 false preachers, these false teachers, these liars. It's like they're out here selling you some false narrative and it's like anybody who's like can we just have a conversation can we just talk about this sensibly and it's like no you're a pony it's like well what on earth what what in the world why is that no no you're a pony and it's like well i was just trying to have a conversation i'm just trying to cover the news objectively i'm just trying to cover the facts objectively and talk about things and you leave no quarter for facts you leave no quarter for truth like you're allergic to truth i'm a i'm obsessed with it that's why we're different. It's like the reason that you think I'm not on your side is because you have a, a baked-in allergy to facts and evidence, and that's all I care about. I'm obsessed with the very thing that you can't touch. It'll give you a rash. It'll ruin everything you've built because you've built an empire of dishonesty and obfuscation and twistedness. And if you don't abide by that, it's like everybody wants to pull you down into that insanity. I'm done. I'm done with it. You that's not that is absolutely not the path forward for gaming and for conversation. It's not the path forward for culture and community. You're acidic to friendship, you're acidic to conversation and community building. The very thing that gaming, I thought live streaming and content creation was built on that. I had this conversation with a friend yesterday. The truth can run naked in the streets. If you're standing for a lie, the only way to win is to shut down discourse so the truth can't run free. Right, it's like, let's shut down conversation. I'm, I'm done with it. It's like, no. When you're more concerned about the narrative than the reality, I have no need to interact with you. Well said. That's exactly my point. It's like, you're on, if you, man, I'm telling you, if you're on that wavelength, like... I don't block people because they they bother me or upset me. It's because you exist in a reality that's false. There, there's a passage that says that. It's like they went after false things and became false. And it's like you're becoming false. Like that's what you're becoming. I can't exist in that reality. Like I, It's like I feel like as soon as I try to step into the conversation, it's a waste of time. It's a total waste of time. There are no rules. There's no up. There's no down. There's no left. There's no right. There's no guardrails. There's no truth. There's nothing. It's just this free-for-all of of bad faith nonsense. It's like, mm mm-mm, no. I had a guy over the weekend. He throws a bunch of trumped-up garbage stats in my face, and he's like, you, if you don't crunch these numbers and give them to the, your audience, you're doing them a disservice or something to that effect. He basically implied I was dishonest. And it's like, I don't have the time or the patience to educate you on revenue breakdowns of Game Pass versus individual game launches. I don't have time for that. I'm not your economics professor, right? Your ignorance is not my responsibility. 
and the hubris to think that I answer to you the delusional level of hubris to think that I answer to your ignorant bad faith horrible math take like it would be funny if it wasn't so sad no one answers to you and your falsehood and your horrible math and your lack of ability to even grapple with basic business acumen like well we crunched the amount of people who have game pass and that means that these games generated this much money what the frick did you drink this morning what what are you even talking about and then what happens everybody takes that tweet and they run with it they run with it like it's true and it's not you false teacher you paper champion that's not none of it's true and everybody runs with it and it gets baked into this it gets seared into the consciousness of the public and then i'm supposed to answer to it like what i don't i don't have time for this i don't i don't have time for this i don't have time to correct your falsehood at every turn it's too it's there's too much of it And I think that's the grand strategy is, well, you can exhaust people. You can exhaust people with falsehood. It's like, well, I'm just tired of this. I'm not going to do this. It's like, it's, it's an endless, it's an endless foray of, of bad faith, obfuscated facts and falsehood. It's like, well, eventually you just tap out and they're like, yep, he's just afraid of the facts. (laughs) If there's one thing I'm not afraid of, it's facts. Let me find the tweet so Zubair can have an aneurysm. Yeah, like, any economics professor at every college in the universe would look at that tweet and go, uh, they'd be like, I, you just gave me a two-day migraine, thank you. I, just, I can't believe you made me read that. And I'm supposed to correct it and engage with it. And this is exactly why when I talked Baldur's Gate 3 and I talked is Baldur's Gate 3 the new standard and I looked at people weaponizing the game and I looked at people fighting over the game and I was just like you know what this this whole thing is this is not the way I'm going I'm going to take a different path like this is not at all we're going to continue to to label this what it is it's fringe ignorant nonsense and I'm going to shove it over here not interested in it not at all. I want to talk about what Baldur's Gate 3 can do as far as informing the development process of large games with institutional knowledge and a recognizable franchise and a desire for a long tail of engagement and a desire to elevate a game to a symbiotic nature with the actual economic realities of the community that plays it. The people that actually play the game like that relationship what can be learned from what Larian did with Baldur's Gate 3 instead of turning it into a well look at this screenshot of where the frame rate drops what what yeah game must be bad game must run bad on the PS5 oh huh like are we gonna do that is that the is that the endless fight now screenshot instead of looking at the game be like this game achieved something incredibly special (laughs) Let's diagnose it. Let's diagnose it. How did you how did you do that? Okay, okay. How'd you Okay, okay, okay. These are the, these are the things that led to them being able to do this. Are there other studios that could do this same thing? 
Instead of being like, well, no, everybody needs to do this now. Hank Cloppers, thanks so much for jumping back in. Do not share your migraine. That's right. When I hear how great Game Pass is and how it's great for gaming, I say then all these Hollywood studios need to talk to Microsoft for tips on how to run their services. The math don't math. Yeah, I mean, that's a whole other discussion entirely about you know subservices and the the dilemma of subservices. That's that's a different discussion entirely. I would much rather look at a game like Baldur's Gate 3 and glean the good from it, right? 2928. You guys took the Hang on a minute. I got to bring this out. I can't see what I'm clicking on. Yeah, current current member count is now at 2900. You guys bumped it up. You guys bumped it up. You're nearing you're nearing the 3000. Nice work. We should maybe have like lower tier goals along the way to the Gollum. We were so close to Gollum that we set it at 4,500. Maybe not thinking about the ones along the way. Better question is what can we learn from Baldur's Gate 3? That's that's exactly right. Like that's the better question. The best part is he forgot that PlayStation generated 10 billion more than Xbox's revenue last year. I love how a bug in Baldur's Gate is the worst and a bug in this game is in Starfield's adorable. I acknowledge ponies are going hard in Starfield though. Well, and I think that I think that's where <laughs> Russell, it's like I don't I don't know how to phrase it. This is what it feels like. If if my daughter is in like a calm mood, right? She's having a good day. She's calm. She's in a room. I can go in there and we can have a pretty good level-headed conversation about, hey, I really need you to clean up your room. It's a disaster, right? So my my marginal criticism doesn't, it doesn't cause her any sort of disruption or, you know emotional instability, right? Yo, thank you, B-Nipple, for 10 months. If she's having a really hard time, okay, usually after swim, after soccer, she's she's worn out, and so she's not as equipped to stay to stay stable. She'll, she's, you know, she's tired, she's hungry, she's all the things that make even an adult irritable. And if that, if at that moment, I... I could provoke her to a greater sense of agitation, sadness, or frustration by being like, hey, I know you're really frustrated right now, but I need you to clean your room right now. It's a pigsty. What's going on in here? That That's like, like pushing like a teetering car off the ledge. She's already teetering on the verge of like, okay, just calm down, take a breather, eat a snack, have a shower, and you'll, you know, you'll come back down to planet Earth, okay? We've all been there, right? You get spent, you're all twisted out, you're super tired, you're like, oh, and then somebody provokes you and you kind of freaking lose it. So, I I feel like every time we try to have a conversation about one of these games, that's the level that it already is. It's like, there's no build up to that. 
It's like, I know if I say anything about Starfield, I know that, like, that level of reactions already sitting there just bubbling, waiting to go. It's like, everybody's bragging about how it beats Skyrim on the Steam charts. It's scoring lower than Fallout 4. It hasn't surpassed Fallout 4 Steam charts. I know that observation, what it'll do. I know what I'll be met with. But it's like, I want to make the observation. It feels like a fair observation to make. It's basically Fallout in space. It's basically Fallout 5. But but that's the problem. Is, is If I say that, I'm entering into a completely different argument. It's like, it's almost like a better analogy be like, there's two people in the room screaming at each other, and I come in the room and I'm like, Hey, uh, somebody burnt the pizza and they both turn. They're just like, like, it's like, oh my gosh. Like, that's not the time for me to walk in the room and mention like, Hey, you know, somebody burned dinner, you know, you guys might want to you know pay attention to that. It would just turn into, yeah, it's your fault. You're the reason that dinner's burnt. You've been the one. And it would just, it would just fuel the, the fight even farther. And I think that's the frustration is it's just like even something that feels like it should be console war agnostic, Baldur's Gate 3, gets thrust into a a dialogue that they they have no dog in the fight. They just made a game to launch everywhere. Like a multi a multi-plat game. Yeah, read the room, right? A multi-plat game gets kind of thrust into this this argument and I, I don't know the way to proceed other than to constantly say, I'm not a part of that. I'm not doing that. If you're sick of that nonsense, if you're sick of people with platforms and content creators and YouTubers fueling that nonsense, well, then come over here. We can be an oasis. We can be a, a bastion away from that nonsense. Now, you better buckle up because if you come over here, I'm going to be critical of both sides. I'm, I'm critical. Uh, I'm heavily critical of Final Fantasy 16's performance mode, and I'm heavily critical of Starfield. Like, you're going to you're gonna get it from both sides here. Like, but it's like, come on. Come over here out of that. That's just like, come into the shade and cool off a bit. You're literally out in the sun just baking, screaming at each other. Like, come in out of that and just, you know, prop your feet and enjoy the thing that we're all supposedly you know, passionate about, which is games. Well, it's definitely not a Sony shill. He just tells it like it is. Appreciate it. I'm just calling an acute sense. Uh, oh, you have an acute case of the Mondays and it gets bad. I take it out on Abe. <laughs> I think most Starfield bugs just affect your experience less because there are so many ways to have that experience and work around that aside from major bugs. I mean, I've not played much and I had a soft lock and a quest. I, you know, I had, I had another quest go topsy-turvy on me just because NPCs weren't where they were supposed to be. I don't know. There's a much bigger club to swing, but they're not intelligent enough to wield it, says Eugene. Like you said, they're not even good at the warring if they're focused on the timed part. Yeah, the Sony guys, to me... To me, this is what I this is how I always view it. I think the truth is far more effective always. Right? The 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 truth always wins every time. 
every single time look at Redfall truth and reality won over a false narrative it did your, your montages your hand waving your posturing all withered beneath the blazing sun of truth right and in these scenarios it's like the same thing it's like, look, man, you're you're wasting your time with the with the bad faith. Just say it's not a timed exclusive. It's actually worse. It's a late arrival. There, and you're like, well, what's the difference? Aren't you being pedantic? Aren't you splitting hairs? No, I actually think I'm being quite accurate because if you think about it, a late arrival refers to it can't get there on time. That's entirely different than a timed exclusive because a timed exclusive is somebody actively paying money to prevent it from going over there. A late arrival conveys the appropriate thing that's happening. It's like, it it's worse because it has nothing to do with Sony. It has nothing to do with Sony. Think of it like this. Let's say that Baldur's Gate 3 was a PC and Xbox time exclusive and it was going to come to Sony you know 12 months later or whatever don't you think that it landing later on Xbox would be a bad thing right it would essentially shrink that time exclusivity well it landed on PC we're having some issues with the Series S and then Baldur's Gate 3 is going to come to Xbox like four months later. Well, now your time exclusivity window just shrank. Don't you see? It's like, it's everybody's focusing on the wrong thing. It's like, it's not a time exclusive. It's a late arrival. And that's far worse because if that becomes endemic to your platform, like Lord of the Rings, Minds of Moria, I've not seen anything in that game that warrants a late arrival. It's another late arrival to Xbox. Like Why? But it's like, instead of having that conversation, what do we get? We get hand waves. We get, look at these Sony ponies calling it a time exclusive. And then we also get, well, who cares about, who, who cares about uh, Lord of the Rings, Minds of Moria? That game looks like crap. And it's like, you're not, you're not considering the bigger picture. The truth is like a lion. You don't have to defend it. Let it loose. It will defend itself. Right. I, like, Augustine has some, some pretty good zingers. Probably one of the more influential minds in in the history of philosophical thought as well as political thought. But in general, though, I think that you can be more effective as a critic the more honest you are. Limited platform release? I'm going to die on this hill? No, I don't like limited platform release. Limited platform release makes it sound like it was planned. Like I, I, the reason I like late arrival is it uh, it appropriately places it in the, in a category that's like self-explanatory. Limited limited platform release. It sounds like well we planned for this. No, you didn't. It's a late arrival. Something happened on the way to the console that's causing the late arrival. The tr- the train is is late basically. Why? It's not part of the plan. This wasn't this wasn't something that they intended. 
Parasita says, I feel like a lot of the, but look at this problem discussions are spawned from a broader societal mindset of needing to one-up your neighbor instead of mutually benefiting from resolving problems. Many people view gaming as a relief avenue and adding any level of strife or frustration to that via bugs, exclusives, delays, etc. causes a hair trigger response. People's lives are complex and adding disruptions to the relaxing side of life causes elevated problems. Yeah, I mean, we the, the, the sociological discussions I are not going to help us here, but I definitely think there's a broader problem at play that's that's playing into this. I think there's a cyclone of insanity out there, and this is out on the outer edges. We're starting. I think it's spreading. Okay, I think there's a there's an identity crisis that's spreading and that cyclone is getting larger and larger and larger to the point that you're no longer just tribalistic about beliefs you know politics, culture sports, now gaming is getting sucked up in it as well historically speaking (laughs) at least in my experience gamers just would get together and be excited to talk about video games right? You weren't like getting in a fight with your friend in high school because he was on a PlayStation instead of a Nintendo or he was on an Xbox instead of a PC. Like you would all just get together and talk about games because you thought this is something, this is a haven for us away from the nonsense over there. So like, think of it like this. This is, this is, this gets really interesting if you think about it. So when I was growing up, tribing tribing up did give you a sense of safety, security, and belonging. So you would tribe up with gamers and the jocks would tribe up with the jocks and, you know, the metalheads would, would tribe up with the metalheads. But now I feel like even within those we, even with those in those pockets there's these branches and these schisms that have formed. So now gamers don't really tribe up. You've got You've got the PC Master Race. You've got the Xbox guys. You've got the PlayStation guys. Even within music, there are people that get really tribalistic. That's not really metal. That's metal core. That's bro metal. That's whatever the frick. So instead of coming together and saying, we just love metal music because it's angry and we're angry and we can all get together and be angry together and feel solidarity in our anger and we're running around punching the air. It's not about that anymore, right? It's, it's like, it's like breaking out into other 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 tribes same thing happens within jocks and sports right well now you're not just getting together because you love football you're like frick that guy he is a fan of that team i'm a fan of this team it's like and it branches out and if you can't look at that and think well this is unhealthy why are we doing this obviously there's root causes underneath that would cause these fractures and these tree branches to form even within tribes and sex, right? You would say what's what's going on here? Wrong. A kid on the bus once shouted, Sega does what Nintendo don't at me, so I punched him in the mouth and got suspended. <laughs> that would be an amazing story if it were true. And this is why it's like if you're self-aware enough to look at this and to say, well, this doesn't seem healthy, this doesn't seem conducive to me enjoying my favorite thing, my favorite hobby. This isn't conducive to me living a happy, happy life and flourishing. 
if you can't sort of check in with yourself and see that what you're doing is destructive to your own mental state, I you're just going to continue doing it because it gives you glimmers of like a good feeling. You get like a glimmer of affirmation and a back clap and a like and a retweet and a whatever, and then you constantly need it again. You constantly need it again and again and again and again and again. This is one of the challenges of this 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 is one of the challenges of like if you live only pursuing uh if all that matters to you is like happiness or like pleasure, right? Almost like a hedonistic view of the world. One of the challenges there is every present pleasure is compared to the past. It must outdo it else it is less than, which then erodes at the pleasurability of it, at the happiness of it, right? It's always an ever it's always this ever moving treadmill of I must I must outdo what I have previously felt. I must outpace what I have previously enjoyed. So you're always sort of chasing something that never truly exists, if that makes sense. You're always focused on it you're, you're instead of just enjoying the thing for its for what it is, you're trying to squeeze out of it something that it must it must it must hit harder it must be more uh, pleasurable and happy inducing or joy inducing than the previous thing that you that you experienced and i think you can see that like play out in some of these debates and some of this tribalism it's like well i get a sense of belonging and and i get a sense of pride and excitement out of you know warring for a console it gives me a sense of purpose and identity and it's like well but is it leading to you being happier? Is it leading to you flourishing? Is it leading to you actually enjoying games more or enjoying them less? And I think that's one of the reasons why it won't stop. That's why it's heating up. It's almost like, have you ever seen anybody, they basically take apart, um, I think it's a dryer. Is it a dryer? Yeah, it's a dryer. Have you ever seen anybody take apart a dryer? And they let the motor spin, and it spins faster and faster and faster, and it eventually just destroys itself, right? That's kind of what this feels like. It's like it's spinning and it's spinning and it's spinning and it's spinning. So it's no longer just like a a debate between people that have console preferences. It's personal attacks. It's you know, it's it's malicious. It's slander. It's harassment. It's like it's it goes beyond just. It can't stay down here. Well, I prefer this. Well, I prefer this. No, it's got to spin faster and faster and faster and faster. And the destruction of dialogue and the destruction of discourse is what's transpiring. It's like, well, we can't even talk about these things now. Like, I groan when a certain topic has to be covered. I sort of internally groan. It's like, I don't want to talk about that. That's going to be exhausting. That's going to be incredibly frustrating. And I think the thing that keeps me going um, is I don't want them to win. Because if like if all if all the sensible people abandon the conversation, if all the if all the if all the sensible logicians of the world say I I can't do this anymore this is too tiring this is too frustrating well then the inmates get to run the asylum and I I won't stand for that it's like no I'm not going to abandon 
an effort to have sensible, good conversations about this. I'm not going to walk away from this because, you know, I'm I'm getting attacked, maligned, or or labeled, or slandered, or whatever. I'm not going to let them win. I mean, I think that some of that comes from everything that's happened to me. It's like, well, no, you you don't get to you don't get to bully me out of this. You don't get to push me off the off the landscape. You don't get to push me out of the conversation. That's I think the appropriate power play is you basically say you're not pushing me out of the conversation. You're not even a part of it. You're not a part of it. Like that's I think hard to do because Abe's kind of touching on it, right? It's it seems like it's the majority when it's really the minority, and that's just the way some of these platforms work, right? That you know they're driven by the the algo, right? Like that's what drives engagement, that's what drives the clicks, and so you feel like there's way more of it than there actually is. The real function of con- uh, contradicting is not about writing things down. It's about being forced to discuss every scenario. It's about coming to understanding ahead of time. I'm not sure what you're saying, Zubair. Stephen Marson says, love this discussion. Thank you. That's 24 months. That's a red badge and a VIP+. plus. Tribalism helps get that hit of serotonin. That some people provide it provides confirmation bias. It's is it serotonin? I thought it was serotonin. Um, central nervous system throughout your body. What does it do to a person? Serotonin controls your mood and is responsible for happiness. It helps regulate when you sleep and wake. It helps you think, maintains your mood, and controls your desire. Your your desire for hanky panky. Oh, it's dopamine. Okay, I was gonna say that sounds an awful lot like dopamine. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I think I feel like we have. I feel like we've talked uh, talked about this before. Yeah, the study the studies in that and what it takes to get it and what it takes to keep getting it are are incredibly, I think, interesting and telling as to why some of this is hitting the the thresholds that it's hitting because you. You may have done a tweet making a funny meme, right? You send out a tweet, you do a funny meme, and you get a bunch of clicks. And then it's like, well, then the next time the meme has to be meaner or more cutting or more scandalous or whatever. No disrespect to you, but the most it's highlighted, the bigger it grows. Sometimes it's just best to ignore it and let those crazies be crazies. We just help spread the tribalism. No, I think that the best way to handle it is to shine a light on it. Yo, it's good, Lobo. Because I feel like what I've been doing, Abe, is like I'll get down into the mud for half a second. Like I'll dip my toes in and be like, I'm not what you say I am. I'm not a pony. And it's like, that's the mistake. The mistake is... I don't have to defend myself against anything you're saying because you're existing in some alternate universe. That's I'm not doing that. You're on you're on team tribal. You're over there just fighting and slinging mud. You you like if you never step into the fight, you don't have to wipe the mud off your shins to be like, "Yeah, somebody's calling me a name over there. I'm not that name." I'd rather point at it and say, "Yeah, I'm not doing that. We don't do that here." 
We don't. We shut down falsehood and we shut down false narratives. Freddie Jackson with 29 months in the VIP. Been a while. I didn't have time to do anything. Glad to be back and keep uh and keep it going. Thank you so much, Freddie. So in conclusion, you're not a fan of skill-based matchmaking. <laughs> we do call names, you ignorant sl- no. Um I don't have I don't have the playbook here, Abe, because I didn't anticipate this. I didn't anticipate this. You know me. I've always been sort of transparent with the process. I've been transparent with, you know, how I get to certain places with the content and what I do. And I've, I'm being transparent with it right now. It's like, I've hit a point where I'm so... I'm, it's not just like I'm fed up, like like an angry parent. Like, I'm so fed up with this. Just clean up this mess. It's more like a resolved indignation it's you you hold no power here you hold no power over me you hold no sway over truth or reality you live in a figment you live in some other reality some figment of your imagination some illusion I'm not doing that I'm not coming over there I'm not engaging in what you're saying you ju- you literally are just going to get blocked when you're on that smear merchant false narrative wavelength, it's like I got no, I got no time for you, right? You want to goof and you want to meme on Twitter? That's totally fine. I don't care about that. If you want to do it in good fun, I don't care about that. I think, I think there's, there's, there's some joviality to be had in console warring if, if done properly. But the, the rest of it, I just throw it all in the bin. Ragnarok with a $5 super chat tip. I feel like you're not pro Xbox or PlayStation. You're pro gamer. Well, and that's kind of why the whole situation has been so frustrating because it's like if one team messes up and they mess up a little more frequently and I have to highlight that and talk about that, I get, I get told that that means I'm a such and such. And it's like, well, but that doesn't make any sense to me. This is what it feels like to me. I feel like Imagine that you grew up and you really liked watching football when you were younger and you kind of drifted from it, okay? And then let's say you live in a new city and you get invited to a game and you're like, I actually think I could get back into this. And so you start cheering for that team, okay? So you start cheering for this team. Let's just say they're all wearing green uniforms because that's really going to paint the picture. So it's like, okay, I think I could get back into football. I'm going to cheer for this team, okay? And you're cheering for them, and you're buying the jerseys, and you're buying the tickets, and you're going to the games. And then you see things start not going that well. You see management making really bad decisions. You see the ownership making really bad decisions. You see the coaching team make bad decisions. And you get frustrated, and you get angry, and you say, what are you guys doing? I've been cheering for you, I've been wanting to see you do well, and you're screwing up. Now, if you were saying all that, and then somebody came to you and was like, why do you hate that team so much? You would say, I don't. What are you talking about? It would be alarming to you. Be like, what do you mean? I I literally got back into football because of this team. I've been cheering for this team. I've been buying the stuff. 
And because they've not been doing what I think they ought to be doing, or they've been screwing up and failing or doing the wrong things, and I'm criticizing them for it, I don't hate them at all. I'm, I'm calling them to what I, I think they ought to be doing, or I'm calling them to betterness, or I'm calling them to excellence. That's what it's felt like this entire time. I got back into console gaming with Xbox, and I bought them first. And I bought all my games there first. I built out my digital library there first. And as I saw them start to make really bad decisions, it was frustrating. It was irritating. And then what looked like was going to be their comeback year, right? The coaching staff, the management comes out and is like, this is where we're headed, right? Project Scarlet, Xbox Series X. And I think, here we go. This is it. The team that got me back, the team that got me back into console gaming, they're going to do it. They're going to turn things around. It's going to be amazing. And we're three years in, no sign of life. No sign of life. None of the things that I was promised, none of the things I was told, I was promised the stars, and I was handled, and I was handed glitter. Like, here you go. It twinkles, doesn't it? It's like, this, this isn't what got me cheering for this team again, man. And that's what was so disillusioning for me. It was like, okay, I'm being critical of what they're doing because I'm on their side. It was like when I was really, really critical of Destiny. It was like, I played the game for five years. Of course I'm going to be critical of it. I love it and want to see it flourish and be awesome and not be bad. And then if you stop supporting them and you don't hold the line and then you come back to support that team as they start to do better, you get called a fair weather fan. Precisely. Precisely. Like, look at look at the treatment and look at the conversation uh, uh, around Starfield. I, I'm, a, I'm a hater, which is ridiculous. But then when I'm like, okay, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm like, mm, this, no. Like, yeah, of course you are. Yeah, you're just trying to appear neutral. It's like, what are you talking about? What are you, what are you, what are you saying? I wanted this game for a long time. I was hoping they would be really good and I'm doing my best to give it, you know, a fair shot as it exists, right? Letting go of my expectations, basically settling. And then, and then I look over here at this other team and I think, I like going to these games (laughs) and they're winning. (laughs) They're winning. Like, imagine this analogy, the team that I was buying tickets for, and I was going to the games, imagine if they just stopped selling tickets, and they're like, yeah, we're not going to be doing any games for a little while. And I was like, okay, I'd still like to go watch football games. That team over there is selling tickets, and their games are pretty exciting. I'm hearing that they're pretty fun. I'm going to go over there, because I want to I wanna, I wanna watch some games. You got me back into console gaming, and then you leave me high and dry. So what do I do? I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. There's games over here to play. Yeah, you start watching college football. That's right. So that's been my experience. Is this, It's just like it's so rhythmically frustrating to be falsely labeled as somebody who literally I, I this is the grand irony in all of it is a lot of the people that hurl insults at me it's like I'm probably a bigger Xbox fan than you I probably have more games I probably have a higher gamer score than you I probably have more time in with Xbox than you do right imagine being that sports fan and you're like I was there at the beginning I was there 
You know, it's like I was there during the 360 era, baby. I played on the Xbox in the college dorms when we figured out we could plug them in to the network and play Halo against each other. Like I was there. That that's my history with them. So you're gonna come at me like you're a fan, uh huh? That's why I'm just like you know what? I thought about this morning because I was listening to some interviews. There's the guy whose song went viral. He's got the he's got the big the big beard, right? The big red beard. His song went viral, so he did some interviews. So I was listening to him talk to Rogan. And then I was listening to him talk to Peterson. And I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe the similarities. It was insane to me. I was like, everything he's describing, there's two sides. Both sides hate him and love him, depending on what he said or what they think he said or what false narrative that they think. It's like, I I couldn't believe it. I was like, He's literally describing what I've gone through since probably January of this year. It was was like, it's the same. It's the same story. It's just a different, it's just a different environment. Yeah, that's his name. That's his name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oliver Anthony. The guy gets thrust into this moment because his song just go, just, it just did that thing where it was like, you know, and his life just gets sucked up into it. So as he's talking to, to, to Rogan, as he's talking to Peterson, and as they're describing things, I was like, this is literally everything that we've dealt with, everything that we've been frustrated by. And it's like, I don't precisely know how to plot this course. I just know where I don't want to go. Does that make sense? Imagine we're plotting a course in a boat. And I know there are, there are, there are territories and there are waters I'm not taking this boat, dude. I'm not doing this. I'm not getting stuck in these weird torrents of futility and insanity. I'm not doing this. I know where I don't want to go. And in doing that, hopefully, I think we can start to model something that is just more facts-based, more sensible, more more built built on integrity and accuracy and honesty like i'm not trying to plot some like oh we need a new era of gaming journalism but at some level we do <clears throat> can you read my last question uh i totally understand your pov but at what point does it hurt the show sure i got here late west coast and all but i haven't heard a thing about Baldur's gate 3 walked into the ramp maybe the show it was a part of the show it was a part of the show Abe I talked about the debate that surrounded the game it got immediately false frames by by IGN devs are panicking so that's strike number one Baldur's Gate 3 is making devs panic that's not true then Baldur's Gate 3 gets weaponized by the gaming community it gets weaponized by people who are like what do you mean why are you panicking just make a good game bro just get good bro and then it gets weaponized by Xbox fans it's it's not it's not series s it's not series s it's larian so so larian the developer of likely the game of the year winner is out here having to basically defend themselves against a bunch of falsehood from rabid Xbox fans then PlayStation fans start weaponizing the game 
they start calling it a timed exclusive. They start uh, posting the Metacritic scores, right? <clears throat> so that's what got us to this conversation. You, you, you don't look at this and think, I want to get off the merry-go-round. You don't look at this and say, we, we can't even celebrate a good game. It wasn't like this last year. Now it it there were there were hints of it last year because I remember I remember I had rabid Xbox fans who were what is going on oh there it is I like a a hair on my glasses I had rabid Xbox fans that were cheering for Elden Ring to win why they didn't play it they they didn't have a minute of time in the game they hadn't gotten past the first boss why were they cheering for it to win game of the year? Because they didn't want Ragnarok to win. And I thought to myself, that's kind of crazy. And then this year happened. And it's like it's worse. It's like Baldur's Gate 3 is the clear winner. And I genuinely think there are people cheering for it to lose. And they're going to go with Nintendo, right? Nintendo's like neutral ground in their mind. They want Tears of the Kingdom to win. Why? Because Baldur's Gate 3 is sort of like wound up in this stupid console fight. So instead of just recognizing the greatness that is Baldur's Gate 3 and saying, we we, we want this game to win because it's the best. We want this game to win because it's excellent. It's like, well, no, we don't want this game to win because it's wound up in the identity of of some other platform that we don't like. So the game becomes a subtext at that point. The, the, the Baldur's Gate 3 is now a subtext. It's not even the main headline. It's like, just, just be quiet, Baldur's Gate 3. We're having a conversation here about what should win game of the year. And that, and that I think, is what is what I've been driving at. Is that we need to be able to hack through that and say, nope. That's a bunch of utter nonsense. And I ended the monologue by saying, if we take all that nonsense and we shove it to the side, what can be learned from Baldur's Gate 3? And so we talked about, and this is some of the stuff that you missed, Abe. We talked about Diablo 4 and how games like Diablo 4, where you have a recognizable franchise, a bunch of institutional knowledge, and you're trying to do a live service game, obviously, you should, you should maybe model yourself after Baldur's Gate 3. There's, there's the chance to do early access. And then I looked at Elder Scrolls 6 and I thought, that's another game that could learn from Baldur's Gate 3. You have this size, you have this scope, you have this massive reach of awareness, and you could put things into this sort of early access, hey, you, you, can, you can come play our game, help us build a really, really good game. So... If you're going to Johnny come lately and say you don't like when the conversation goes this way, I I can't help you. We've been streaming for two hours and nine minutes, and we spent maybe the last 20 minutes on this. We we arrived here because we walked through all those things. So Johnny come lately's 
I don't know. Take a timeout. I, I don't answer to you. I don't answer to you. I'm not going to police the conversation. I genuinely felt a frustration with, with specifically with Baldur's Gate 3 and how the conversation was going. And it's an organic experience. I was listening to podcasts this morning that were plucking on the same banjo string of we, we can't we can't even just have basic conversations about these things anymore. And I was just like, you know what? No, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going to consistently say... I'm going to identify it and be like, we're not doing that. And I'm going to shove it to the side. And I'm going to say, Baldur's Gate 3 deserves game of the year. Here's the reasons why. What can we learn from it? Is it the new standard to throw in the faces of other developers? No, it's not. Is it a game that actually pulled something off that other games could? Potentially, yes. What are the markers? What are the things that could lead to a game leveraging what Baldur's Gate 3 leveraged? I think in that lane, we can acknowledge the nonsense on the side of the road and say, we're not doing that. We're, we're talking about the good here. And I, obviously the bad. The game isn't perfect. I mean, even according, even according to the devs, Act 3 is bad on PC as well. You're saying Baldur's Gate 3, Act 3 is P, on PSV is bad. Uh, PS5 is bad. Check Digital Foundry. Yeah. Yep, yep, exactly. Check, check the game on PC. They've 100%, they've 100% acknowledged that Act 3 needs work. That's not, that's not indicative of anything on the PS5. Regarding Baldur's Gate 3, I think it was so successful because of the long-term early access. Most, if not all, AAA games could possibly go down this route, especially those with established IPs. I also think the irony here, Abe, is that Baldur's Gate 3 is the most non-live service game and yet it's showing live service games how to live service right and that's where I think Diablo 4 especially like look at Path of Exile and Last Epoch they're kind of already doing this they're already they're already like pushing that needle and saying we're going to let people play our game we're going to let people influence our game we're going to create this we're going to create this uh I'm trying to think of the the, 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 the the picture I want to paint. We're going to create this almost like a factory where you get to come and influence the product as it's made. That I don't think everybody can do this. Because like what Eugene is saying, most AAAs can't do early access. I don't think there's... We have to acknowledge that there's risk in game creation. Even if you go more traditional style of delivery which is like what Diablo 4 was it was like build 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 do a beta do a beta launch the game right that's becoming like a more traditional delivery of gaming there's risk in there right but there's there also would have been risk in early access there's performance problems in act 3 casual grinder there's risks involved with early access early access isn't some like guaranteed path to success do you understand what I'm saying? There, there's not like, a, well, if we let people play the game early for three years, then uh, we'll be we'll be as successful as uh, as Baldur's Gate three. You're still taking tons of risk because what if people play the game for three months and they're like, it's trash, and then you lose the audience. Now, Destiny kind of did, the, yeah, Destiny did kind of do that. I do think, however. When you have a larger, more recognizable brand, I think it has more endurance. Like, I think Diablo 4 could have weathered that storm. 
And I also think Elder Scrolls 6 could weather that storm. Nobody's just going to like write off those titles, right? They, they do early access and you play for a couple of months and you provide feedback and you're like, that's ah, trash. I'm out of here. They're almost too, they're too big to not be able to maintain some interest. That'd be really weird for people to just be like, nah, I'm totally done with Elder Scrolls 6 early access. <laughs> that's not a sentence. I don't, I just don't think that would be the result. Is the early access not being on the table due to constantly accelerating release cycles of games? Baldur's Gate 3 isn't a franchise franchise title releasing two or three years. Yeah, I think that's definitely part of the mix, Parasito. Some of these larger titles are on delivery cadences that aren't healthy. I mean, this is we've talked about this with Jedi Survivor. We've talked about this with Game Pass. We've talked about this with, like, hey, if... If you're trying to push out games according to like corporate cadence requirements, that I think is a bad, bad, that's a death sentence to some games. Zubair says, for progression systems and balancing, it's very useful. If your game doesn't run on those systems, then early access is less helpful. It's just a beta at that point. Right, and if it ain't so good, then people are going to write you off very quickly. Eugene says it's highly situational. Most games you think early access would pay off for might as well just release fully and make adjustments. If you're charging people for access anyway, says Eugene, just release the game. Hilly says Baldur's Gate 3 did it the right way. They only showed Act 1 and they made sure all the mechanics worked as expected. And most importantly, the players liked it and built out with solid functionality. Well, right. We can't act like early. We cannot act like early access is is going to. It doesn't allow you to like just kick out something that's barely that's barely tenable as a as a game. Like the reason that Larian pulled this off with Baldur's Gate three is from the very beginning. Is from the very beginning. They had something that was good enough to warrant attention. If, if, like, if Baldur's Gate 3 early access a couple of years ago dropped and it was utter refuse, it wouldn't have mattered. People would be like, what the heck is this? Well, you can't just shovel out garbage. It has to be within the proximity of value and, and something that is good, which is subjective, but it has to be within that approximation or you're not even going to capture people. There's different kinds of early access. What Baldur's Gate 3 did, which which is actually using feedback to develop the game, versus thousands of early access games on Steam that never fully released. I mentioned that in the show open shenanigans. It's like, there's an ocean of early access on Steam that we can get lost in, so we need to be careful not to be like, yeah, every game should do what Baldur's Gate 3 did because we don't want more early access to a certain degree. I don't, I don't think we want more of it. I think some games could leverage it. That's another result of solid game vision and early direction. They already knew what they wanted to build, they did it, and then they iterated on it. I think demos are more feasible, says Broken Lobo. Early access is largely a marketing ploy. It doesn't need to be a marketing ploy, though. It doesn't need to be. It can be what Baldur's Gate 3 did. Early access isn't a fix at all, but it sure helps. If your game's model can support it, why not? Maybe people would happily pay for early access. I see way more pros than cons. I would have paid for early access to Diablo. What's good, Melrose Mike? I would have. I would have paid for early access in Diablo 4 without a shadow of a doubt. Guys, in six minutes, we're going to go to a premiere about 
can Redfall make a comeback? There's been some interesting dialogue from Pete Hines about Redfall. So we're going to be going to that video in six minutes. If you guys want to push this all the way to 150, we need 19 more. I don't know if any of the big boys have any 20 bombs left in their pocket, but currently I owe you uh, 25 members. I owe you 25 members. I will do that in the premiere. I give you the maximum amount of time to to get the gifted get the membership as high as possible and then I pay that forward in the premiere chat when we go over to it Weezy says so would I Hades used it Brotato used it Halls of Torment is using it and I'm certain the game that game will explode when it goes full release Halls of Torment um not seen that one yes it can make a 60 fps release on ps5 no soul train's gonna help out and he says come on y'all we can do this and he bumps it to 132 thank you so much soul train for gifting a membership javier coda has deep pockets <laughs> how much would you have been willing to pay they'd have charged you 60 minimum i'd have paid 60 for diablo for early access yeah if I listen, think of it this way. Think of it this way. If I know I'm going to be playing Diablo when it fully releases, I have no problem paying to get in now and to and to provide my own feedback. Even if it's as simple as where I focus my time is one more data point that helps them, like even that I think is is worth the price of admission. Right? I'm I'm literally saying, hey, I know I'm going to play this game. Right? I know I'm gonna play this game when it fully releases. Why not play it now? It would be really odd for me. Let's use Elder Scrolls 6 as an example. Are you kidding me? In what universe am I not buying and playing that game when it fully releases? I mean, I'll say it. It's weird to say it. They already have my money. They already do. Bethesda and Microsoft, they already have my money for Elder Scrolls 6. They already have my money for Hellblade 2. There are certain titles that have gained that sense of, I'm getting that game no matter what. So, if I do it a a year ahead of time, two years ahead of time, and my engagement, my feedback, my opinion, my videos help the game become better why would I not do that I can't see a reason to not do that like I feel like that's an that's an easy easy win the novice woodworker says thanks for the membership expectations experimentation doesn't get pushback in early access big changes to systems don't get pushback a general release is not the same these users are knowingly buying access to an unfinished game and they know it will improve. Full releasing in a crappy state isn't much better. Oh, what's the difference between full release and knowing they'll make adjustments and paying early access? It, again, it's a timeline thing. It's a timeline thing. It's an expectation thing. If if I if I am paying knowing that I'm going into early access, I know this isn't the finished product. This is just kind of the beginning. This is just this is just the beginning. Like 
if I know that, then again, I'm going in with an expectation that I'm not getting the finished product, so I'm, I know that I'm helping. Now, I'm going to redirect you guys to this Redfall video. I'm really curious what you guys think about it. After the Redfall video, we'll hang out with members and we'll debrief. Do me a favor. If you haven't smashed like yet on this talk show, do it. We could easily hit 400 likes. A nice strong start to the week. Uh, this is obviously a little bit of a later topic. This this Baldur's Gate 3 thing, it kind of hit the news cycles about a week and a half ago. And I wanted to kind of wait and give my opinion on it kind of after the fact. So... I'm not talking about a couple of days of early access like in Starfield. I'm talking about like a year or two. So you guys over on Kick will need to come over to YouTube. Um, I'm going to spam a link in chat, guys. Hit that link or ride the redirect. It'll also be uh, the featured video on the channel. So let's head over to this video. Can Redfall make a comeback? Pete Hines seems to think that Redfall could make a comeback. So let's go discuss, and I owe you guys. If you guys want to keep pushing gifted members, by the way, you can do that over there. All right, I'll see you over there in the uh, in the premiere. I'll be in the chat.